This is Saving Grace, Living in Light of God's Love, a podcast ministry brought to you by Grace School of Theology, a seminary to the world committed to the truth of Scripture and life application through the lens of grace. Hello, I'm Carmen Pate, your host for today's podcast. Is Jesus the Messiah? Well, as Christians, we are certain that He is. But are we prepared to defend what we believe? Mark Ray continues our series on the uniqueness of Christ with a look at Christ's unique role as Messiah, the Anointed One. Mark is Vice President of Community Development here at Grace and the Executive Director of the Grace Center for Spiritual Development. Mark holds a Master of Biblical Studies from Dallas Theological Seminary and a Master of Divinity from Grace School of Theology. He has served churches as an associate pastor and as a lead pastor and has served as COO of a major evangelistic ministry. Here is Mark Ray speaking on Christ's unique role. Have you ever heard the name Mark Cuban? <laughs> yes, he's, he's the star of Shark Tank, right? But he's also, he's also the owner of the Dallas Mavericks, right? Basketball team in Dallas. Well, a friend of mine was sharing with me just the other day that Mark Cuban has come up with a new app, a new app for your phone. And there's a purpose behind this new app because being the owner of a professional athletic team, he got tired of the multitude of times that an athlete would tweet something about a political event or a world event or an entertainment event or an athletic event. And the moment that tweet went out there, the athlete was, it went viral and the athlete was either regaled or he was torn down for what he had said and he had to immediately take it back. And yet, because it was a tweet, it was out there. Those 144 characters were just floating out there going everywhere. So he invented an app that when a tweet goes out, after the first recipient has read it, it deletes 30 seconds later. And the purpose, again, behind this is so that an athlete could go out there and make a statement. The moment it's read, 30 seconds later, it's deleted so it doesn't have to be taken back anymore. Nobody can read beyond that. They could, the first recipient reads it, and boom, it's gone, so that an athlete cannot say something and then go, oh, man, I, made a mis- I need to take that back. Oh, I'm so sorry, and put a bad face on the athlete. We are in a study, and we're at the fourth week of a study on what makes Christ unique. The first week, we talked about Jesus' unique reality that he is one who pre-existed, the only one who could claim pre-existence, that he, that he existed uniquely in time and that he's been worshipped for all time, the only one who can claim that. The second week, we looked at his unique relationship, the fact that he calls God his father and his father calls him my son, that he claimed it to be God, backed it up, and then took all the authority and power that was attributed to God upon himself. Nobody else has ever claimed that. The third week, we talked about his unique request and the fact that he says, take, eat, this is my body broken for you. Drink, this is my blood shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And no one has ever made that request. The request to remember 
the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on our behalf. Today, we're going to look at Jesus' unique role. And I want you to hear me carefully because Jesus' unique role is the role of Messiah. He claimed it, and he did not need an app to take it back. In fact, Jesus, over 2,000 years, from the moment he proclaimed himself Messiah, he never had to take it back or apologize for that name. You see, Jesus doesn't need an app, right? (laughs) Because his word transcends all of that. What he's had to say has stood the test of time for over 2,000 years. Jesus doesn't have to say, oops, I misspoke myself. And frankly, after thousands of years of people reading his word, it's become even more real and more concrete than ever before. He's the Messiah. His unique role, that word Messiah in the Hebrew, Mashiach, in the Greek, Christos, means literally the anointed one. He is the anointed one, the one that we have all waited for. There are other phrases that go along with that in the Old Testament. We see him known as the seed of Abraham, the son of man, the son of David, the son of God. We see him, God calling him my servant. We see him called the branch, the branch of Jesse. We see his lineage, the lion of Judah. We see all of these different names for him, including wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, a multitude of statements about Jesus, all holding him up as the anointed one, the Messiah. And we see multiple passages from the Old Testament on, starting back in Genesis chapter 3, By the third chapter of Genesis, Jesus is already laid out there as Messiah, the one who is the seed of the woman. And by allowing his heel to be bruised, he would crush the head of the serpent. He would crush Satan. He would voluntarily allow his heel to be bruised. We see him down through the Abrahamic covenant, right? What's promised to Abraham is land, seed, blessing forever. And that blessing was going to ultimately come through the Messiah who would come out of that nation. We see multiple passages throughout Scripture going into Daniel, uh, excuse me, going into 2 Samuel where the Davidic covenant now comes through and we see a forever king on a forever throne holding Jesus Christ up as the one who would be that forever king. We listen to David in the Messianic Psalms of Psalm 2 and 22 and 40 and 110, those Psalms that, that proclaim him as the Messiah. That great prophet Isaiah in the prophetic word about Jesus in Isaiah 2 and 7 and 9 and 11 and on up into 40 and 53, the suffering servant in 61, over and over again, that prophet. And then you see him down through the major prophets in Jeremiah and Daniel, and you see ultimately into the minor prophets, Zechariah, Malachi, the laying out of Jesus spanning the Old Testament into the New Testament. The Old Testament predicting this is who he is, this is what he will do, this is him who is coming, and in the New Testament, him fulfilling prophecy after prophecy after prophecy, right? Right? Yeah. And so this morning, we want to look at the unique role of Jesus as the Messiah. First, that he proclaimed himself the Messiah. Second, that those around him who watched him and saw him 
and were going through life with him proclaimed him as the Messiah as well. And finally, we want to look at this, a really unique statement, and that is those who watched him and said he's the Messiah acted as if they believed it. And we're going to see what they did that reflected the fact that they believed that he was the Messiah. We look into the very beginning of this and what Jesus said about himself. Now, he called himself the Messiah to John the Baptist, to the disciples on numerous occasions, to the Pharisees, the religious leaders. He made no bones about the fact that he was the Messiah. He was the one that everybody was looking for. And he started it with those who were closest to him. He went into the synagogue one day, early in ministry. And as he walked into the synagogue, surrounded by his friends and his family, Luke 4 tells us in verses 17 through 21, this is what happened. He quotes Isaiah 61, and this is what he says. He was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus stands up in the synagogue and he reads this incredible passage out of Isaiah 61 that everybody knew was pointing toward the anointed one. He reads the passage, sits down, everybody looks at him like, what's he going to say next? And he basically says, friends, Isaiah was talking about me. Now, here's an interesting thing. If you look at verse 22, it says, so he left the synagogue, looked at his disciples and said, oops, I made a mistake. No, verse 22 doesn't say that. He makes this incredibly bold statement that I am the one that Isaiah prophesied about. And he says it to his closest friends, his relatives, those who are in the town with him. He says, I'm the one you've been looking for. And he doesn't take it back. At the start of his ministry, that's a really significant statement for Jesus to say, this is what it's all about. But he, he takes it even further, still a little bit further in this ministry. And the one who, who opened the door for him, John the Baptist, the last of the Old Testament prophets, sends two of his disciples. Because Jesus isn't quite doing what John thinks the Messiah should be doing. In fact, the nation of Israel thought the Messiah was going to come with his sword in hand like another David riding on a white horse and wipe out the Romans. And yet Jesus is going from town to town preaching and healing. And so John the Baptist sends two of his disciples in Luke chapter 7, 19 through 23. John calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to Jesus saying, are you the coming one or do we look for another? Are you the Messiah, the coming one, or do we look for another? When the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you saying, are you the coming one or do we look for another? Now look at the next statement. At that very hour, he cured many of infirmities, afflictions, and evil spirits, and to many blind he gave sight. Doesn't this sound right out of Isaiah 61? 
It's exactly what Jesus was doing, exactly what Isaiah 61 said the Messiah would do. And Jesus answered these two disciples and said to them, go tell John the things you've seen and heard, the things you've seen, the miracles that have occurred, and the things you've heard from me. That the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached to them, and blessed is he who is not offended because of me. A second time, Jesus in front of John the Baptist's disciples says, I'm the one, and not only am I the one, but I'm doing what the one should do. I'm healing and preaching the gospel. I'm backing up my claim of being the Messiah. And by the way, that isn't... Um, for him to claim it and to claim the Isaiah 61 passage and then to go out and do it means he was healing people. He was bringing sight to the blind. He was making the lame. These were no small things. But he was doing all of that as well as preaching the good news that Jesus Christ has come. Near the end of his ministry, he's now gone to the cross. He's died. He's been resurrected. And listen to what he says to the two men on the road to Emmaus as he continues to make them sure, to make sure that they know that he's the Messiah. He said to them, O foolish ones, this is Luke 24, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Now he goes back and he starts talking about the prophets again and he's making reference back here to everything you heard in Isaiah and Jeremiah and Daniel. And he says this, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to have entered into his glory? This is exactly what Isaiah 53 talks about in the suffering servant. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So now he takes these two men. He's been resurrected. They don't recognize him. He's walking on the road with them. And he says, why are you, why are you so upset? This is exactly what should have happened to the Messiah. He was to come. He was to die. He was to be resurrected so that the sins of the world would be taken away. And then he looks through all the way back to Moses. And he shows these two men, oh, by the way, that's me. That's me. That's me. And that's me. And he points himself, points to himself out of all of these Old Testament passages of Scripture that says, those were fulfilled in me. To his disciples in Luke 24, listen to what he says. He said to his disciples, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all the things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. Everything that's happened has been written about. It's all there for you to see. Go back and study it. See what Moses said. See what the prophets say. See what the law says. See what the Psalms say. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures because the scriptures are pointing to him. He said to them, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ, the Messiah, to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, and you're witnesses of these things. So here he is, the resurrected Christ, looking at his disciples, and he says, let me just remind you, going all the way back, all the Old Testament prophecies that point directly to me, and you are witnesses not only of what the prophet said, but the fulfillment of those prophecies here. And what you really want to hear him say to them is, you're witnesses, now go tell somebody, because you know exactly who I am. Perhaps the most telling 
of all of his public proclamations of being the Messiah came in front of just one woman, the Samaritan woman in John 4. She came up to him and she said, I know that Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ, and when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. To large crowds, to the disciples, to John the Baptist, to religion, it doesn't matter. The scriptures are full of time and time and time again that Jesus said, I am the Messiah, the anointed one, the one that you've been looking for. Even after his death and resurrection, he said, you see, I am the one. And my life and my death and my resurrection points exactly to that. So his words and his actions take the Old Testament and the New Testament and bring them together in the prophetic fulfillment of what the prophet said was going to happen. And it's a tragic event that in his time period, the nation of Israel missed it. They misunderstood it because they were looking for this conquering David with a sword to take away the Roman oppression. And yet what Jesus was saying was, if I don't take away your sin, the oppression of sin on you, then all is lost. It doesn't matter if I take care of the Roman oppression, if I don't take care of sin, because that's what will plague you unto death. There have been a ton of names used for Jesus over the course of time. The great I am, the Messiah, the chosen one, the bread of life, the light of the world. And all of them, Jesus said, that's who I am. Watch this video for just a moment. Let the name of the Lord be praised both now and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to the place where it sets, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is exalted over all the nations, his glory above the heavens. Jesus declared, I am the vine and you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. I am the bread of life. If you come to me, you will never go hungry. And if you believe in me, you will never be thirsty. When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am the one I claim to be, that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. Once, when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? They answered, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others say that a prophet of long ago has come back to life. What about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. While everyone was marveling at all that Jesus did, he said to his disciples, listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. The son of man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out to the crowd and said, who is it that you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he he said. With this, they drew back and fell to the ground. Again, he asked them, Who is it that you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I told you that I am he. It was now about the sixth hour, and darkness had come over the whole land until the ninth hour, for the sun stopped shining. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two, and Jesus called out in a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. Surely, 
This was a righteous man. On the first day of the week, the women found the stone rolled away. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. He is not here. He has risen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. I am the first and I am the last, and apart from me there is no God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. I, even I, am the Lord. Apart from me, there is no Savior. I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. I am the living God. I am in the world, and I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. I am the first, and I am the last. I am God Almighty. I am the God of your Father. The God of Abraham. The God of Isaac. And the God of Jacob. I am the I Am. No one else in history ever claimed what Jesus claimed. And 2,000 years later, we are still today hearing Jesus claim that I am the Messiah, the one you were looking for, the one who has come, the anointed one. He proclaims it over and over and over again. And you know, it's an interesting thing. I could stand up here today and I could say, I'm the Messiah. Anybody believe me? Just ask my wife. She'll tell you I'm not. Right? Yeah. That was a pretty emphatic shake of her head. It's one thing to stand up and proclaim it. It's one thing to say it. It's another thing to back it up, which we have the scriptural account that he backed it up. But it's a second thing to know that people who were around him, who watched him, who walked with him, who traveled with him, they proclaimed him to be the Messiah as well. There are multitudes of people that claimed it. The laundry list of those who witnessed him, there's, there's those who witnessed it and wrote it down. There's those who saw it. There's angelic realms that spoke about it. There are multitudes of people who walked with him and said he is who he said he was. First, in writing, Matthew, one of those great books, the book that proclaimed him as the king of kings, the one who proclaimed him as the king of Israel, in the beginning of the genealogy, Matthew 1.1 says, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Christ, the son of Abraham. John says that roughly the same thing when he talks about in the, in the opening of his gospel, that this is the word became flesh that dwells among us. He talks about this is the Messiah, the Alpha and the Omega in, in the book of Revelation, disciples that walked with him, that proclaimed this. Listen to Luke in Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Now, Luke's writing his letter to Theophilus. This is the companion piece to the book of Luke. The book of Luke being Luke's historical account of the life of Jesus, Acts being the historical account of the church. But listen to what he says. In Acts 1, 1 through 3, the former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach until the day in which he was taken up. After he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Now, what, what he says to Theophilus in writing is this. Jesus is who he said he was. He taught it. He spoke about it. He did things that confirmed it. 
He gave commandments to the apostles that he had chosen. He presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs. That's an interesting statement, a historian that said he proved that he was resurrected. He he was seen for 40 days, and he spoke of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So here are human authors writing and proclaiming Jesus to be who he said he was, but there's also an angelic author, the angels at his birth. In Luke chapter 2, that proclaimed, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, a Messiah, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You'll find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. There is a tremendous theologian out there. He carries a blanket. His name is Linus. Listen to him proclaim the Messiah. Lights, please. And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid, and the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. Yeah. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. That's a cartoon that was made for children in which the truth of Jesus Christ is proclaimed. You could say, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And that is the story of Christmas. That's what Christmas is all about. And I would challenge that last statement because it's not just what Christmas is all about. It's what life is all about. And from the wisest of prophets through those who followed him and marched, even to children today who know him, proclaim him to be the Messiah, the one we've waited for. Even the angelic hosts tell you there is great news because the Savior's been born to you this day. Well, guess what? Even the demons called him Messiah. They called him the Son of God. They called him the Holy One. Numerous times when they were being cast out, they called him the Son of God. It's one thing for your friends to call you. It's another thing for your enemy to say, that's who you are. Simeon, at his birth, before he's even spoken a word or done a thing, Simeon recognized him as Messiah. John the Baptist at his baptism, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, spoke to him as the Messiah. And I want you to hear, this comes out of John chapter 1, verses 41 through 49. I want you to hear this exchange between several of his disciples right at the very beginning. 
It starts with Andrew. Andrew first found his brother Simon and said to him, we found the Messiah. And he brought him to Jesus. Now, just think about this for just a moment. Here's Andrew who goes to his, he says, we found the Messiah. And right now, there hasn't been a whole lot that Jesus has done. When Jesus looked at him, he said, Simon, you're the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said, you come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. People proclaiming him before he'd really done much of anything. And here are the first disciples that follow him simply at his word because they knew who he was. During his ministry in that period of time of his three-year ministry on the earth, we see Peter proclaim him at Caesarea Philippi. Who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Listen to Martha's response in John chapter 11. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who has come into the world. No clearer statement could be made from those who watched him, from those who were with him, from those who saw him, that he is the Messiah. The disciples said it numerous times. Listen to the crowd now at his triumphal entry. This is in Luke 19. Then as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. They're referring directly back to the descendant of David, the son of David the one who would come, the conqueror king, the anointed one who would come. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees called him to, the, to him from the crowd and said, teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would cry out. It's a great statement that Jesus makes that the Pharisees are dumb as rocks. <laughs> because even the rocks know, even creation knows who Jesus is. And then perhaps the most telling one, I still, wow. Mark chapter 15, at his crucifixion, Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last. Then the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, so when the centurion who stood opposite him saw that, he cried out like this and breathed his last. The centurion said, truly, this man was the Son of God. Even one who helped crucify him recognized who he is. Do you know the name Dan Jansen? Does that name ring a bell? 
Back in the 80s and early 90s, he was perhaps the greatest speed skater on the face of the earth. He was an Olympic speed skater. And there was a series of four Olympic competitions in which tragedy struck Dan Jansen time and time and time again. Let me tell you the story. It first started at his first Olympics in 1984. He was 18 years old, and he had two events that he was the greatest in the world at, the 500 and the 1,000 meters. In his first Olympics, he finished fourth in the 500 meters, beaten out by one sixteenth of one hundredth of a second. And in the 1,000 meters, he, turned in a, he was 16th in the, in the, in the rankings. At his second Olympics in Calgary in, in Calgary in 1988, he was getting ready to take the, uh, take the ice for his 500 meters, and he got a phone call that his 27-year-old sister Jane, who had contracted leukemia, was dying. He called her. She had not enough strength to answer, and right before he went on the ice, he got a second phone call that she had passed away. But before she passed away, she said, run this race for me. We don't know whether he tried too hard or what happened, but in, in the 500 meters, his premier event, he stumbled in the last turn. He'd never fallen in a 500-meter race ever in his career, and at this one, he stumbled. In the 1,000 meters, four days later, he fell again and walked away with no medals, two Olympics, no medals. After his third Olympics in 1992, He'd set the world record for the 500 meters time and time and time again that whole year. He'd set world record after world record after world record. And he started the 500, fell on the last lap, didn't finish. In the 1,000 meter, he tied for 26th. His fourth Olympics, 1994. Again, expected to win the 500. Again, tragedy hit him. One more time, he lost control, put his hand down for just a brief moment, and came in eighth place. So here's his last event, four Olympics, every time expected to win the 500 and 1,000, no medals yet, he comes into the 1,000 meters. Not his best event, the 500 was it that year, but he's in the 1,000 meters. And the whole crowd knows what's happened to this young man over four Olympics, and this is his last race, he retires after this race. The gun goes off. He's 200 meters into the race. The crowd is on its feet because they're watching the time. And it is world record time. And then the unthinkable happens. He stumbles, puts his hand down. But in this particular race, he regains. And as he crosses the finish line, what flashes up on the screen world record holder, Dan Jansen. World record holder. Dan Jansen. When he took the podium that afternoon to receive his gold medal, he gave thanks to his sister for giving him the strength to make it through. They made a request of him and they said, could you take a lap by yourself? He did. He had his daughter, Jane, in his arms with a bouquet of roses and he took a lap. They turned out all the lights in the stadium and just him, just Dan Jansen, going around the stadium one last time. But then a unique thing happened. The road from Lillehammer to Hamar, Norway, was this snow-encrusted road, and somebody had taken a sign and put one word on the sign and stuck it in the snow on that road, and the one word was this, Dan. 
It's all that needed to be said. One name, Dan, and everybody knew exactly what they were talking about. Friends, there is one name that everybody knows, and it's Messiah. Messiah, a simple name, the anointed one, and yet one name that by what he said and what he did, it changed the world for eternity. One simple name, Messiah. So there are those, there are those that walked with him as he proclaimed himself Messiah, those that walked with him that proclaimed it as well. And by the way, the number and variety of people that proclaimed him Messiah has never been seen before in history, before or after. He's unique in that respect that not only did he claim it and back it up, but those who walked with him said the same thing about him. But the final thing I want to walk through with you is this, that it's one thing to say it. It's one thing for others to say it. But it's another thing entirely to say it and to believe it to the point that it changes how you act. And I want you to hear a number of passages from people for whom it changed how they acted. In Matthew 14, after Jesus walked on the water, then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Knowing he is the Messiah and seeing what he did, what did they do? They worshipped him. Listen to the blind man in John 9. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and when he found him, he said to him, do you believe in the Son of God? He answered and said, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said, you have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. The man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Listen to the women at the tomb in Matthew 28. As they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them saying, rejoice. So they came and held him by the feet and worshiped him. You seeing a pattern here? Those who know him and recognize him and believe in him, they worship him. Matthew 28, the disciples at the resurrection, when they saw him, they worshiped him. The disciples at the ascension in Luke 42, uh, Luke 24, and they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Listen to Paul in Philippians 2. Therefore, God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and those on the earth and those under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When you believe he's the Messiah, it changes how you act. When we believe he's the Messiah, we worship him because the Messiah is worthy of worship. Amen? But there's a second thing that changes when you believe him too. And that is we see people that pray in the name of Jesus. In John 14, John 15, and John 16, when he says, when you pray in my name, when you ask in my name, I will do it. Listen to him in John 16. And in that day, you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be made full. Ask in my name 
and you will receive that your joy may be just a little. Right? No. That your joy may be what? You want full? Ask. Because the Messiah is the only one that you can pray that for. And he will give it, that your joy may may be made full. (coughs) Friends, he proclaimed to be the Messiah. Others who walked with him proclaimed him the Messiah. Others who were with him not only proclaimed it, but believed it to the point that it altered how they lived life. They worshiped him. They prayed in his name. He is the Messiah, a name above all names. And I want to read you one final verse. This one comes out of John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. This comes right after, in the scriptures, this comes right after he's gone to Thomas. He said to Thomas, reach your finger in here. Look at my hands and reach your hand in here. Put it in my side. Do not be unbelieving, but be believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. And I want you to hear what Jesus said. Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now listen to how John concludes this. (laughs) Truly Jesus did many other things, many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these things are written that you may what? Could we say that together? These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have what? Do you want life? Boy, it must be really cold in here. Do you want life? Where is life found? In Jesus, in the Messiah, the things that have been written in this book have been written specifically so that we might believe that Jesus is who he said he was. Not only did he proclaim it and stand behind it, but those who walked with him, those who were around him, they proclaimed it, and the people who walked with him that believed it, their lives were changed in that they worshiped him and they prayed in his name. And John tells us, that the things that are written in this book are written so that we might believe that Jesus is who he said he was. And that when we believe, there's life. Jesus asked Peter a question. The question is this, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Peter responded, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. But I think Jesus asks us all that question today. Who do you say that he is? Each one of you, independently, who do you say that he is? I want you to just take a moment and think about that for a minute. Really, who do you say that Jesus is? Is he the Messiah or is he not? Because if he is and you believe that, there is life. And it alters and changes the way you live. If you don't believe that, why? Why do you not believe that he is the Messiah? Here's what I can tell you, and I want to make sure you hear this clearly. 
For those of you that do believe that he is the Christ, the son of the living God, that he is the Messiah, it should alter and change the way you live life every day. And my challenge to you is this, that we each look at our lives and say, do I truly believe that he is the Messiah? And do I believe that there is life in his name? And am I experiencing that life? If I am tremendous, give him praise and worship him. If I'm not, why not? Why am I not living life to the fullest? Maybe it's because I don't really take to heart that Jesus is the Messiah. If I've not yet trusted Jesus, he asked the question, who do you say that I am? Do you believe that I am the one who died for your sins? Because the scriptures tell us that we all sin. We've all fallen short. And that by our actions, by our sins, we have the wages of death. We earn death, right? By our actions, we earn death. But the good news that the angels proclaimed, the good news is that Messiah has come and by his death on the cross, we, by believing in him, have full life now and eternal life forever. And if you've not yet trusted, if you've not yet believed, I'm gonna be down here in front, there'll be elders down here in front today right after this service. And I wanna talk to you. They want to talk to you, to show you Jesus, the Messiah, the one in whom there is life, is the one you need to believe in. The question of the morning is, who do you say that he is? You've been listening to Mark Ray. We now know what Jesus said regarding his being the Messiah. We know what others said about him and what they did as a result. But the most important question is, who do you say Jesus is? And do your actions reflect what you believe? Well, our prayer is that you will continue to grow in your knowledge and your love for Jesus. To help you with that, we're making available a free study guide for this entire series, The Uniqueness of Christ. Download yours today at gsot.edu forward slash center. That's gsot.edu forward slash center. Many are finding the study guides offered are great for personal and small group study. Well, thank you for joining us today and throughout this series. And remember, the love of Christ can never be earned and can never be lost. You have been listening to Saving Grace, a podcast ministry of Grace School of Theology. For more information, visit gsot.edu slash savinggrace. Views expressed on this podcast may not always be the views of Grace School of Theology or its leadership.